Welcome to Accounting High. There's maybe too much focus on automation these days. And I could see the flip side of the coin. And I could see what it feels like when people focus too much on automation. The relationship is still so core to it all. And we need to humanize things a little bit more. You could use technology to help humanize of things, course. but you have to think of that humanization. How could we add just a little bit of human touch to it? It's beautiful. Very wise words from, from the Canadian accounting messiah. <laughs> the mecca of Montreal. <laughs> Classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, kids, do you like operations? It's Wednesday, accounting high, talking systems and processes, talking shop about operational balance. Balances, accounting, workbench to workflow challenges. Hybrid teams for Pete's sake. I'm trying to manage through screens, but I can't figure out which Zoom window's my next meeting. And Dr. K says, Acuity uses EOS. Uh-huh. Entrepreneurial operating system. Well, since 2012, my firm's been in the cloud. Join us as we go deep. I'll try not to run it to the ground. We're sharing profit and loss and managing back office. The tax staff just quit. Tried to hire on LinkedIn. No luck. And scope creep team count cast. Automate tax, compliance transactions, ID and bottlenecks. Come on, Ops. Scotty, wait a minute. It's my firm, dog. I know, and I said you could run it however you want. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi. Introducing the star of our show, Scott Scarano, Jason Ackerman. We're going to have a problem here. Hello, special guests. Very special guests this week. Should I say his name? See if I can go. You right? can try. I mean, you should be able to say it. I, I would hope you do. Uh, Ryan Lazanis. There you Nailed. go. Nailed it. Let's go, baby. So, Ryan, tell us how you got started in accounting. Yeah, so I'd say I'd probably blame that on my father, being an entrepreneur all his life, seeing the ups and downs. So he used to own a print shop. I've seen the highs and the lows of business. Put it to you like this. We all know like how print... Uh, not a lot of went. printing going on anymore. And not a lot of printing anymore. <laughs> so he always advocated for me to educate myself, finding some kind of profession. I think he saw that from a young age, I always wanted to start a business, but he saw the risks that came with that. He said, you know, if you start a business and you're educated in accounting or law or one of these professions, you could always fall back on to that later in your career. I felt accounting was the language of business and I studied accounting and, and that's how I kind of got into the, into the field. I never really loved accounting. I was actually a terrible, terrible accountant. But I studied it, I was educated in it, and, you know, worked in accounting firms, and that's all I knew how to do. So I started an accounting firm in 2013 and kind of took it from there. I think that's such a good point. Like, when people ask, what should you do, like, what should you major in? Accounting is a great major because you're going to need it no matter what profession you go into. Unless you're, like, a school teacher and you don't. But there's always account. You always need accounting somewhere. Yeah. Truthfully, law was my first choice, but I was traveling through Southeast Asia and I was accepted to law school here in Montreal, Canada. And I was having such a great time over there that I said, you know what, uh, <laughs> I think I'm just going to stay. <laughs> and uh, so when I got back home, I'm like, you know what, let's just go into accounting. So truthfully, law was the first choice and I kind of blew that off, but no regrets whatsoever. Shout out to the Southeast. <laughs> so... Southeast Canada, Southeast Asia. We're in That's Southeastern right. United States. There you go. The connection. So, that's does that have anything to do? And I'm foreshadowing here our conversations later about VAs and 
outsourcing, but did you learn things there that you brought back to the accounting world when you're in Southeast Asia? That is a really good question. I don't know if I could pinpoint something, but it definitely changed me. That trip definitely changed me, you know, going there for six months, you know, at a relatively young age and just kind of uh, opening my mind to a different, completely different part of the world that I, I knew nothing about. And it was just a, a completely different experience. And uh, it definitely changed me. Uh, like I said, it opened up my mind. You know, I think it taught me to think a little bit differently and understand people. And it, it just changed me for the better. Uh, but I don't think I could pinpoint a specific thing. So Ryan, you're in Montreal right now, right? That's right. The hotbed of accounting. It is <laughs> Toronto, Montreal. We have more guests from Canada lately than we've had. Yeah, Canada is States. hot. Yeah. I, I've never heard that Montreal was the well. Canada, you're saying Canada is the Canada, Canada, no, not okay. Montreal. All right, okay. I think once you get above our borders, the mind opens up too. The borders open up, the mind opens up, and the accounting uh, <laughs> juices start flowing. When did you come up with the ideas? I'm going to start my own firm. I came up with the idea that it was time to start my own business when I was in a job that I absolutely hated. I, I knew I was able to do something better. I knew I was able to create a better life for myself. I knew I wanted something that can help me control my own destiny. It was a, an assistant controller position at a mid-sized medical company, and it was just very routine, very boring. I just hated going to it. And so uh, you go start an accounting firm. That's not routine or boring, is it? Well, well, the thing was, every night I would go home and I would Google different business ideas or try to get, you know, spend my time on computer just trying to, what did I, what kind of business would I even want to run? What would I do in accounting? What would I, you know, there's a lot of different ideas I had. And then I came across a bookkeeping service in the UK called Crunch. And it was the first time I'd ever witnessed this type of model where Crunch had developed their own software and then they had paired it uh, accounting software, like cloud-based accounting software. They paired it with accountants. They bundled it into a monthly package and they delivered the service online. That was in 2012, I think I learned about that. And I had never seen something like that before. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was the future. That's when I knew I wanted to start a, a, a firm just like that. And in Canada, no one was really doing that. No one was, you know, working in the cloud with their accountant. Nobody was advertising, you know, subscription packages. Nobody was concerned about making clients' lives easier. And that's really what I wanted to do, was use technology, offer a fresh way to get the accounting done, and to make clients' lives easier and to make accounting suck less, basically. So you're... You, you seem like a very, very methodical person. And over the weekend, I saw King Richard, and he had a plan for his two daughters. <laughs> he lived by that plan. Did he slap? It, yeah. It, was there any slapping? There was, or there no? was no slapping. He actually got punched a few times in the movie. Yeah, you know, he got beat up by people. You know, people just kind of, you know, the thugs out in, out in Compton, right? But he plan had a plan for his daughters. He executed that plan. You've you've been known to say you built a firm from scratch to sale. You did this. Was it a preordained? Did you, was this part of the plan? Not not at all. What what can we call Ryan on the on the podcast? He's he's like not just carrying the torch, but he's leading the way for the future of of the profession. The the Messiah, <laughs> the, the Mecca. Whoa, now he's uh, Easter's next weekend, baby. All right, <laughs> slow down. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas here. <laughs> Messiah. Yeah, sure. The Messiah from Montreal. Yeah. The, the accounting Messiah. Yeah. The Montreal like Messiah. All right. <laughs> so, like, so the starting of the firm. So you, you have this idea of kind of bundling monthly bookkeeping services. But how do you how did you go about actually starting the business? Like what were your first moves that you think were yeah. vital to the success? Well, I, I think the success also had a lot to do with the fact that I was in the right place at the right time for this kind of model, truthfully. Uh, you know, I stumbled ac across something that looked very interesting, and I thought this was the future, and I decided to run with it. And I remember when I was quitting my job and telling my boss what I was going to do, he thought it was the stupidest idea ever. He was a CPA, mm -hmm. and uh, he said it would never work. People would never That's when you work. knew it was going to work. No, I was 50-50 <laughs> that, like, I was ready to go six months 
without picking up a client and say, you know what, like this is not going to work out. Like I was preparing myself mentally for that. First thing I did was I leased an office with zero clients for three year lease, which was not the brightest move, but I did that. Then I went to every single networking meeting possible, kind of come up with a concept for the, for the, for the business. And I put together like some fixed price packages. And I, I show what those packages are today. And most people would laugh because I had no clue how to price anything. And uh, my prices were absolutely ridiculous. It's like 150 bucks a month. They get like unlimited everything. So it was just so many mistakes right out the gate. And then I just said, I have to pick up clients. And I tried all kinds of like crazy marketing strategies that just went absolutely nowhere. One thing I did do was I went networking as much as possible. Early mornings, in the evenings, at lunchtime. The very first networking meeting I went to, I, I, the very first person I spoke with, they're like, oh, online accounting, that's cool. I, I think I want to use zero. Uh, I'm like, okay, let's, let's do it. And I picked up a client the very first meeting I had and was a client until the day I sold the business. So yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to think back on that journey. There's probably a lot of things I would have done differently. I wasted my time in a lot of areas, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. So originally it was just you. Yep. So you were doing all the work yourself. Yep. And then when, by the time you ended, how many people were working for you? It was about 15. 15. So I, I guess, when did you know that you needed to hire somebody? And I guess, what was your first position that yeah. you hired? So my first hires are much, were much different than most firm owners' first hires. I went very senior for my first two hires. Uh, so very experienced CPAs right out of the gate because, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a terrible accountant. I'm, an, I'm a hazard. You don't want me doing that stuff for too That's long. That's like Scott. So. You want Scott out of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I hired a tax person, hired another experienced CPA, brought on, a, you know, a CPA student, brought on an operations manager, a head of technology. So I, I really started, you know, with more senior level people first and then built down from there. Who would you say influenced a lot of your decisions? What were you paying attention to then? Because hiring a head of tech and doing a lot of these things, I mean, can't you know that that's that right there. Like, not a lot of people even do that today, too. Yeah, I don't know who influenced my decisions there. It's just what made logical sense to me, I guess. Maybe it's just the way that I think, but sure. Yeah, I don't know. Like, nobody really gave me that idea. I just figure, like, where am I best? You know, where am I at my best? Where should I be spending my time? And why not? Looking back on it, they were difficult. This, they were scary decisions because there wasn't a lot of cash coming into the business, basically breaking even for the first little while. Everything that was coming in, I was just reinvesting it into the business. So, what was the big like moment where you're like, "This is actually going to work, and we're going to be profitable"? Well, I didn't have really any concerns about profitability, but I was at the beginning. I was just concerned whether the model was actually would people want to buy this kind of service? Do people want to do things online? Are people going to want to... Actually, my first, the very first business model I had was put up the website, I advertised the packages online, and people could buy the package they want with their credit card immediately. And people were doing that right out the gate. It, was, it, it didn't work out well because they were selecting the wrong plans and there was a whole, whole bunch of issues that I was inheriting with the client. But at first, it was like an e-commerce model. So when people started buying the packages without even speaking to anybody, that kind of validated it to a certain extent. And then when more and more I saw there was a need for that kind of service, I was going to a lot of tech meetups and stuff. These people were eating it up. So very quickly, the model was validated. I wasn't too concerned about the model. So but, can you, before we start going a little further, can you define scaling for us? That's a term that's used a lot. I want to hear what your take is on it. Yeah. You know, I make the dif differentiation between growth and scale. Growth is, you see a lot of firms grow, but the people that are working in the firm, the owners, the partners, they're, they're driving themselves further into the ground as the business increases in revenue. Whereas scale, if I just provide a very simple explanation of it, is when we grow the top line, where we're not further driving yourself into the ground, where we can have your business operating systematically like a machine, essentially. So that's kind of the difference. And it really comes down to the business model. 
so there is a big difference between growing a firm and scaling a firm. And were you out to scale your firm as you started? I wasn't. I didn't really know what scale was, but I was interested in easy. How could I make it easy, not only for the client, but for everybody in the firm as well? And what is that formula? How do you package the service and deliver it in a, a formulaic type approach? How could it be delivered systematically? How could you put processes in place that just make everything run smoothly? So I was interested in the formula. And I think that's a big part of having something that's scalable. You're the right kind of lazy. I guess so. I'm just interested in that kind of stuff. I don't know why. I'm just interested in like finding the model, finding the formula. Well, the most innovative people that we've talked to that I know are the right kind of lazy because they are not satisfied or not content with the current way of doing things because it's too much work. It's too, you know, so they're finding... I don't know ways. about that. <laughs> they're finding new ways to do things and finding better well, ways. This no, is why you adopted Zero. No, this but is that's why not because you, you're lazy, though. That's because you want you know you you want to spend your time doing something else. The right kind of lazy. The, the person that wants to make something easier. So you know, being at the right place at the right time, and and basically, like you were you were a scientist back then, and you're testing out certain things that you intuitively in your gut knew should be proven out, and should work. There wasn't a lot of people doing it the way that you are preaching now and a lot of the and again i want to get to future firm but a lot of the things that you are teaching you practiced already and you learned so you were pretty innovative ahead of your time hence future firm at what point did you during your journey know that or think wow i i think i got something here i think i, sh I should be uh you know using my powers for good in terms of like what I wanted to do next or? I don't know. I mean, it's, you're, you're growing the firm. You know it's going to be profitable. I guess take us a little bit further into the journey. I guess what are some of the technologies and some of the things that helped you processize? I don't know if that's a word. But systematize. Systematize, yes. To systematize and, and, yeah, make the firm run better. Yeah, I, I don't think... There's any like specific technology that really comes to mind and certainly not anything groundbreaking. I, I think it's just the way that you put the rules and processes in place and think about how you standardize the business and then the technologies just kind of smooths that out. So look, when I when I started like zero and receipt bank were like groundbreaking. You would show it to a client, then they would like go nuts. They're like, wow, this exists. Now it's like a given. You know, the apps that I was using then are not very different than the, the technology that's being used now. And in fact, it's, now it's starting to get a lot more advanced with all the no code stuff that's coming out. So yeah, I, I don't think I'd point specifically to the success of the business, to the technology end of things. I was ahead of the curve there, but yeah, I don't know if I'm really answering you. So it, well, properly. was it like you only took a certain type of clients? Did you niche yourself? You made I, them do, do certain bank accounts. Like, is there we, how we, how like deep did you get into making the client do certain things? My belief was if to scale professional services, it really starts at the offering level. What you offer your clients is going to determine how you can scale your firm and how you can standardize that offering. The problem with most firms is that. They'll do it like this for this client, and then they'll work on this completely different client in a completely different manner. And what I wanted to do was just work the exact same way on the ex on very similar kinds of clients. What that meant is if a client came to us, they'd have to work with us on Zoom. Uh, we wouldn't accept any paper. They would have to go on to zero. They would absolutely 100% require bookkeeping. They would then need this, this, and this. So we would dictate what, what their package is, essentially. And those packages were very similar across the board. So that we could automate or streamline the core stuff that needed to get done. And then we could add some add-on services on top of that. So the formula and the packages that they all received were very similar, which made the business operate more like a machine, in my opinion. So I'd attribute more of the success to that kind of approach than to the technology side of things. So yeah, how did you go about like it's tools? Like but how did you go about making sure that the client was the right fit up front? 
Well, there'd be certain tests they'd have to meet with us online for the initial meeting and for all other meetings. And some clients, even one of our largest clients was right down the street. And they're like, well, can't you come to the office? And we're like, no, we have to do the meeting online. You know, there's so there's certain tests like that that we would implement from the get go. There are certain kind of businesses that I didn't want to deal with just because we didn't really understand them that well. And I didn't uh, really want to get into that space, like manufacturing and inventory heavy businesses and stuff like that. So we were pretty specific on the kinds of clients that we would pick up. We did niche to a certain extent. Sometimes people will weed themselves out of a process. I mean, we've talked about our Correct. hiring process or even the way that we take on clients. If they can't cut it in the beginning, Correct. we know they're not going to be a good fit. Absolutely. Yeah, so, but, you, but you have to like design this, the tests. Yeah, but the t sometimes, again, the tests kind of design themselves. If you don't have an office and somebody can't meet you, then you're not going to go out of your way to go meet with them just to try to pick up the client. So then they kind of drop themselves off of the list. And then I, I kind of agree that sometimes these things happen naturally. Then you look back in hindsight and say, okay, this is what I was doing and this is what worked. This is what didn't work. And for all intents and purposes, you were trying to create a factory that could replicate it without you there. And not a lot of professionals do. I mean, not a lot of accountants are going to say they're a bad accountant. Not a lot of CPAs are going to say that either. I, Ackerman says it to me all the time. I mean, you well, I think what, what you and Ryan have in common is like, you're not a, like, you're not really accountants. Like Ryan said, he's not a good accountant. He wants to be the CEO of the business and not the accounting. I think that most accountants like accounting and not being the CEO. Yeah, like accounting or difference. taxes. And and sometimes they just don't like the human element of a lot yeah, of this too. Like like you're not you don't go don't train to be a manager or a CEO. Like you have to have that entrepreneurial spirit like Ryan has and have a plan or maybe you don't have a plan but you kind of figure it out on your own instead of what most accountants do, which is they're good at accounting and then they kind of back into owning a business. That's very possible. And, you know, they're comfortable maybe doing the accounting. I was uncomfortable doing the accounting. Yeah, you, know, you so knew, you knew you're like, this is not for me. Like, I, I like yeah. the business model, but I don't, I don't want to do the work. Correct. Which is good. And I think it's cool how you hired, like, you, you basically replaced the higher level partners originally. You're like, I'm going to hire super high level people that can do the high level stuff so I don't have to worry about it. Which was very challenging when you're... When you have no money. When you have no money, but when you also have no actual real business at that yeah. point either. Sure, sure. So tell us a little bit how it evolved. Um, you had you ended with about 15 people. So at what point, like, what was the structure of the firm? How did it, what did it look like as it was, you know, maybe year three or four? I think, you know, the idea was to always evolve that org chart where there would just be one person reporting into me and that would be the operations lead essentially a coo operations lead whatever you want to call it where it's the ceo on top the operations lead or coo right under and then everything else kind of mushrooms out from there so that that's kind of what it evolved to i really did not like managing i did not like dealing with that aspect of things whatsoever. The operational side of things drives me nuts. I think I can do it, but I just, it just, I'd rather just focus on strategy and marketing and Your developing relationships. Yeah. I think we've talked about this, Scott. So the visionary slash the visionary actually, integrator. Yeah, or yeah. integrator. Yeah. I hate doing the integrator stuff. So when, when did you know that you wanted to sell the firm? Well, I never really knew I wanted to sell the firm until I started getting approached. Looking at my father, who had run his business for decades, I thought that's just the way it went. You know, you start a business. And I, I just thought I would do this. I, I never even had an end in sight. I just thought it would keep going. And being one of the earlier cloud accounting firms gave me the opportunity, you know, all these other firms wanted to get into the game, which meant, you know, I was getting approached by a lot of others, mid-sized firms, large firms, firms from all different parts of the world that wanted to leverage that kind of expertise and do it themselves. So I started getting requests for partnership or mergers or acquisitions. And that was a very confusing time of my life because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I should just continue, if I should take one of these opportunities, if I, I had no clue what I wanted to do. It drove me absolutely nuts trying to figure it out. And then 
what I did was finally perform an exercise. And Scott, you know, we've had a, a brief chat about this where I got clear of exactly what my ideal life would look like, how much money I wanted to make to live the lifestyle I wanted, you know, how many hours I wanted to be working, where I wanted to specifically spend my time. Like I just visualized that life. I would reverse engineer a plan and figure out what the next step would need to be to help me continue that path to achieving that ideal life. So that's kind of my approach for everything now is start with the end in mind and reverse engineer what you need to do to get there. It became clear what my actual purpose was in life, what I really wanted things to look like. And it became clear that selling the business and starting future firm would help me better get there. So yeah, that's that's kind of what what what. So what was like. so? What's the purpose in life? What's your purpose in life? Well, my purpose professionally, and I think the reason why I started my fir- my accounting firm in the first place, Zen Accounting, in the manner that I I was always frustrated with our profession. I always found it very old school and archaic, and our accounting bodies are not doing what they need to do to help people like us advance. You know, there's a lot of big game that's talked about, oh, we're moving you all into the future, but really we're very, very behind. If you look at all the other businesses, many other types of businesses in the world, we're just not moving fast enough with the times. And one of the reasons why I was excited about starting Zen Accounting is because it was doing something fresh in the profession and trying to advance it in some way, shape or form. And I kind of got away from that purpose as I was growing Zen Accounting. And with Future Firm, prior to becoming clear on my decision to sell Zen Accounting, it became clear I wanted to continue on that path and to help others that were in my position that are starting an accounting firm and want to build something modern and want to build something that gives them a good lifestyle. Because let's face it, most accounting firm owners have a terrible lifestyle and really just help people avoid all the common pitfalls that are made along the way. You know, when I started my uh, my business, I had no one to reach out to. I had no one to support me. You know, I reach out to my professional body, ask for help. Hey, could I charge a monthly subscription? Can I advertise this on my site like this? You know, how do I get clients in the digital age? How do I do all this stuff? No one could tell me anything. You know, I just want to give people a uh, a blueprint on how to do it and just help them along the way. So, my purpose was really about helping advancing the accounting profession, helping modernize the profession in some way, shape, or form. And that's what I, I hope I'm doing with Future Firm. Moving the industry forward, moving the profession forward. So, so well, Zen Accounting, that was the mm-hmm. name you chose. Was yep. was zero an inspiration for that? Or I don't even think Zen Payroll was around at the time. Zero was not an inspiration. Sounds like a Southeast Asia trip. Ah, that's we're, we're circling back. <laughs> yeah. Well, funny you should say that because my wife actually came up with the name, and she's Southeast Asian, who I met over on my trip. Oh wow! Uh, that yeah. was you that met your wife. It. Wait, hold on. That was it. <laughs> you're you're like the American, well, Canadian dream. That's like the Canadian. That's the that's the dream. The American like, oh. dream is marrying a wife from Mexico. That's what I. That's so I've heard. I love this. So, yeah. so she helped come up with the name because the idea was: look, I wanted to make people's lives easier. I wanted to provide an easy, pain-free accounting service. That was the why. And you, you brought know, a lot start... more back than accounting inspiration from Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> right. A lot that's more right. Back. Yeah. So we came up with the name Zen, and then she's like, well, put an X on it. It sounds cooler. I'm like, okay, let's let's go with that. And then so you see Zero, and you're the... just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they had it. They obviously had that first, but yeah, there was no inspiration coming from Zero there. I wasn't even using Zero when I launched the firm. Zero inspiration. No. So, so when you knew you wanted to sell the firm, yeah. what, what were like the, the steps you took to sell it? Well, I was getting approached by a lot of different uh, firms, so it was just about comparing the available options. Uh, so, were you like, what was your size? Were you like, I'm ready to? Did you go through a broker? Were you like, I'm ready to sell? Like, give me your offers. Like, how'd you? What'd you well, do? Well, well, at that point, I had, I had offers already lined up, 
but what I did was to increase the uh, the uh, available pool, I did actually go with the broker as well to get more offers coming through. You know, I had very large firms approach. I had mid-sized firms and they all wanted to do deals in a variety of different ways. You know, so it wasn't just like, hey, here's cash and, you know, see you later. It's like, you could do this and you can come into this kind of role with the firm or you can do this and you can stay here for a couple of years. And, you know, there's a lot of different structures that were available. But the best deal that I got allowed me for the shortest exit where I only had to stay for a year, which is a relatively short period of time. And, you know, obviously I want to make sure the business transitions smoothly. It's a great team and a great group of clients. And uh, they were based out of the Isle of Man, which is pretty cool. So I had to like fly over there and like sign the deal and gave me complete freedom of what I wanted to do next. You know, I made it very clear, like, this is what I'm doing next. And it was the best deal for, for what I was looking for. So that's kind of how I went about it. Isn't the Isle of Man like a tax haven for the UK? Yep. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, oh, okay. This is entrepreneurial idea. Entrepreneurial idea mm-hmm. moment. Um, tax, uh, you know how there's like uh, travel agents and they set up like, you're into food. We're going to take you on this food journey. You're into hiking. Okay, one for accounting where we go to like different tax havens like the Cayman Islands, Isle of Man, <clears throat> and like figure out how these people set up shell corporations and it's like a travel okay. thing. The tax agent. Okay. Half-baked Could- idea. Yeah. I'd be interested in travel part, but I want to know nothing about the technical <laughs> accounting implications or whatever has to do with that. <laughs> Have a like, idea for sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll get, it we, there. We, we'll get it over. There's the money here. There's money here. So there's always money in accounting. Feel free to steal that, Ryan. I, you just, right. just give me like a little credit. I don't even need any money. If I, I I'd like, to, I'd like to go on the first then... trip. <laughs> All right. So, cool. so Ryan, when you did, you already have the plan laid out for your next phase. So was there, I kind of want to paint the picture or set the table a little bit more. So at the time when you're ready to sell, did you find your purpose or did you know that something else was out there? At the time when I was ready to sell, I knew exactly what I would be doing next. Did you have a family at that point? Like you were married, but did you have any kids? Did not, did not, no. I have one uh, two-year-old now. So I knew that there was a kid on the horizon and I wanted to make sure that the business was going to be modeled well around that. And uh, I knew exactly what I wanted. I had the gist of what I wanted to do, but I didn't think it would look anything like it looks now, truthfully. Well, you're, you do a lot of things that are very revolutionary or very ahead of the curve or creating the curve. There wasn't like I, I had asked earlier, like wh- who were you paying attention to what you were doing? There wasn't anything like future firm back then. So you didn't really have anything to model off of in both cases when you're building your firm and now when you're building your consulting type, like what do you call, let's just, again, set the stage, introduce future firm. What do you call it? What is it? Yeah, I still struggle with that. I call it what future firm is now. Future firm provides coaching, training, education, and community to uh, modern accountants that want to create a scalable, systematic firm that improves their lifestyle. So when I first started Future Firm, I, I knew I wanted to help firms out. And I knew I wanted, I had a lot of experience to share, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of mistakes made, and I wanted to help other firms leverage that. And when I first, first started Future Firm, my first few engagements were consulting engagements where I would analyze a firm's, usually more of a legacy firm, I'd analyze, not necessarily legacy firm, there was, there was definitely a bunch of them, but I would analyze a firm's processes and technology and I would issue like these really long 50 or 60 page reports with my recommendations for improvement. And I really hated doing that. So very quickly I got out of that and then I started developing like a, a, a coaching model where it was like ongoing coaching, where people can kind of just like tap into my brain and provide a sounding board. And then that model evolved. I think it started at like 600 bucks a month for a one hour call all the way to five grand a month still for that one hour call. So I was able to kind of productize that knowledge and provide like a a coaching program on a one-to-one basis. 
And then I knew, I, I knew when I started Future Firm, I wanted to offer some kind of passive-oriented model. Creating online courses was the idea and just sell those courses online. So take some of the knowledge I had, create online courses, sell them online, teaching firm members, teaching firm owners certain things. And that then developed. I said, okay, I have this monthly coaching that I do one-to-one. I think I can turn that into something more leveraged, something that's more passive, into a, a monthly membership model where I'm taking everything I've learned from being a firm owner, everything I've learned from coaching, you know, all these firms, turn it into online courses, support those online courses with coaching in a group format whenever people need my help, and also add a community component of all these different types of firms that want to create something modern, uh, that want to create something that gives themselves a great lifestyle, that want to scale their business, put that into a community under one single platform for a monthly membership. And that's kind of what Future Firm is today. It's a Future Firm Accelerate is my online coaching membership. It gives training, it gives coaching, and it gives a community all in one platform for a monthly price. What do you think the biggest mistake firms make, traditional firms? There's a few things that most struggle with, but I think the biggest thing is the way the, the firm is structured. Because if you look at the industry, if you look at firm owners and partners, they're usually overworked. They usually don't have a great lifestyle. It, and it's usually because they're the bottleneck of the business. They haven't properly structured the business on the people side of things to remove themselves from that bottleneck because everything bottles up to them. They're doing the sales, they're doing the marketing, they're dealing with all the client issues that pop up. They're maybe doing some quality control. You know, they're trying to put technology in place. They're trying to improve product. They're literally doing every single business function, whether they're at a hundred grand or whether they're at like a million or two million, they're doing every kind of business function. I mean, that's usually not the kind of lifestyle that people want. So it's usually a people issue in, in terms of how the business is structured. You know, there's, there's only like four or five big challenges that firm owners have, and I'd say that's one of them. So what are the other ones? Marketing, pricing, you know, the way the business is structured, marketing, pricing. I mean, that's that right there. That's the big three. So what do you tell, so what do you tell a firm owner that's doing all those things? What, what, what's your advice to them? I mean, what I advocate for is to first create a baseline and, and see where you're at right now. Before you start recruiting and looking for people, like, look at, you know, I'm a big proponent of capacity planning. I never, never had timesheets in my firm, That's ran right, the baby. firm completely yeah, without timesheets. But instead of recording time, I modeled out time. I created forecasts for time estimates. First off, see where where we're going to have capacity crunches and who we need to bring on next. So that allowed me to avoid the typical busy seasons because we were able to engage in that resource planning well ahead of time, as an example. That allowed me to ensure that I was never working crazy hours or that my team was never working crazy hours. You know, it all starts with capacity planning. So that's like the baseline. And then uh, from there, what I usually advocate for is that you need to hire more senior than you think, earlier than you think. Most firm owners are like 10 people deep on the team before they have someone more senior coming in to help them with some of the more complex stuff. Getting someone to manage operations, getting a more senior person to handle the clients. You know, you have to shield yourself from the machine if you don't want to manage the machine. Mm. I know that all too well. <laughs> so yeah, those are the two people on my management team is client success specialist or the client facing front office and operations manager. Neither of them do any client work at all. Yeah. Um, and it's, it kind of has to stay that way if we're going to continue to grow and be comfortable. Um, so one thing that I've, I've started to realize is sometimes people don't want to take a hit on their margins or their take yeah. home. And that's a big thing that you have to drive in. If you want to change yeah. your structure, you're really going to take a pretty big profitability hit temporarily before you're going to see that what you were making again, but your life is going to be infinitely better. I mean, there's a sacrifice. 
yeah. you have to have some faith in the business, but there you also have to be, you can't have it all. Can't have it all. Uh, I mean, you, you can eventually, but you got to have patience. I think, you know, eventually you could get to like, like you did where you designed the perfect system. There's a lot of examples out there for a firm owner to see what works and what doesn't already. They're not in the dark like you were. There's a lot of great examples of people that did it right. And Correct. I don't want to allude to too much, but I think that you were used as an example once of a firm that did it right, turned around, sold. Nobody, he didn't name you by name, but I'm pretty sure that he talked about how you grew it and and there was not too many people at that time doing it like you. So what's hotter? That, so this is a line that I wrote in my rap and it's like, what's hotter than a million dollar cloud firm <laughs> with no churn, right? Low churn, right? What's hotter than a million dollar cloud firm with low churn? I, I could keep going on, on with the rap, but that was just a line that I think subconsciously- I didn't know we were sponsored that. by your rap career. <laughs> Eventually. This is exciting. Eventually. I gotta still perform it. That's um <laughs> that's a whole nother story. CP Aliens, that's my first rap. So <laughs> stay tuned. But yeah, I mean Ryan, like what at that point. Ryan, what do you think a, about a rapping? A, a rare commodity. Good good career move for him or no? I'd have to I'd have to see him spit a few bars at first. <laughs> uh, see, see, this is where this is where um you know, I, I, it's really more or less a, a hobby now. It's, it's kind of like a joke that's turned, become serious because it was pretty good. So, no, but it, um, at that point, it was a rare, it wasn't a commodity. What you created was a rare, um, a rare precious metal almost, or a rare, uh, what's, what's the, um, a rare resource, right? So, do you, I guess I want to kind of figure out what people should expect if they're turn, if they're ready to sell their firm. Is something that you did replicable? Can that be done again? Or was this a, you know, a one-off shot? Like people have sold for great multiples. I think, you know, I don't know if you care to share what multiple you were able to get when you sold it. I'd love to, but my deal would not allow that. Deal would not allow oh. Anything that's not public information is not, yeah. <laughs> so. I guess, I guess the question is how... If people want to sell, what's the best way for them to become the most marketable for other Join firms Future to firm. buy? There you go. Join Future <laughs> Firm. I do have a podcast specifically on that, which talks about my experience going through the sales process and seeing what different firms value, because it's not just one firm I spoke with. I spoke with many firms, and many firms had different kinds of values. So I do have a specific podcast episode dedicated. I think I list like 10 different, 10 different factors but I think a lot of people, what they want now is they want to buy a modern firm. You know, they don't want that old school archaic model. They want something that has like a subscription revenue behind it. They want inbound traffic or inbound leads coming their way. They want technology being used, tech savvy team in place. These are a lot of things they look at. Now, the big thing still is how much are you growing by? You know, what's your profit margin? Profit margin is a, is a big one, actually. There's a lot of these cloud firms, modern firms that just don't have the profits. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But that, that's, that's a big one. You're not going to get a high multiple without a, without a healthy profit margin. And what do you consider a healthy profit margin? Well, I, I mean, like I know percentage some with wise. Yeah, I know some with 30%, some with 60%. But I mean, there should be no lower than 30% absolute minimum. I love that. Yeah. So with starting with the end in mind, I'm a franchisee of Paget, And something Jeff said recently to me, he thought that Future Firm was a competitor to Paget, And now I'm seeing it because everything that you suggested, coaching, training, education, community, community is a real big one. All of these things are things that I've been trying to drive to Paget to as what I would value in a franchise as a franchisee i think you're seeing the future of what people need dark horse cpas i think they're also one yeah. that, have, that have a pretty decent model modern offering that is just a really old ship that they're trying to steer and turn and i think yeah. they could learn a lot from you from future firm not by seeing you as competition but seeing you as a, a resource somebody that could bring revitalize this are you giving brand. him a job no, I'm I'm talking out loud. I'm I'm just kind of going to send know, this I, recording to Jeff afterwards because I don't. I'm going to make sure he listens. Yeah, yeah I, I don't see us a competitor. 
at all. Not it's like not even a thought that came into my head. I didn't but, either until Jeff said it, and I said, "Well, that's a that's part of the mindset right there. If you see everybody as a competitor, then you know nobody nobody's going to grow too." I think that's a whole new new generational type mindset is seeing things as a community yeah. we can I mean, all look, learn from each other some would say dark horse is a competitor in some ways there's members of dark horse in future from accelerate and you know i speak to chase and the team regularly you know about collaboration i'd love it's to completely have that different models yeah, yeah th that's that's the thing though is, is seeing everybody as a friend out there everybody as somebody that you could collaborate with and learn from because it's not always about the dollar signs. Part of it is about moving the profession and the industry forward. Well, that's the big thing that I noticed. You know, when I started Zen Accounting and nobody was doing that kind of model in Canada, there were two other firms and we became friends. We were competitors, but we were friends and we were sharing information. And to this day, we still chat. To this day, we still speak. Yeah, and, and that's what it's about. Even if I look in the Future Firm Accelerate community, everyone's getting together. Everyone's helping each other. It's not like it used to be where everyone's so closed. You know, people are pretty open these days. Shout out to Marie Phillips. She had a lot of great things to say about Future Firm. And that's part of the community, right? Like not everything has to be transactional. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, but not everything has to be transactional. I think that's how some people are. And that's, that's how mindsets tend to shift when you stop seeing everything as a transaction or everything as a... I can gain something from this if I connect with this person or if I do this thing. And not everything is like that. I think a lot of things are just part of all of us kind of growing and learning as professionals. You know, we're, we're entering uncharted territory, this post-COVID type world. And the way, like, Ackerman, half of your people are probably not even in the office now. Were they doing that in 2019? We, don't even we just have robots now. Yeah, but you, right. Ackerman still has a physical office space. <laughs> they had two floors dedicated to the accounting firm. And now, like... Basically, could you consolidate it all to one floor if you needed to? No, not really. Are that, there are that many We've people in the office? People, yeah, yeah. I want to know, Ryan. What's uh, where do you see the the accounting world changing over the next five years? Like, what are some of the things that you think are really going to be adopted, and we'll see more widespread? It's hard to answer that because I obviously don't have a, a crystal ball, but. Um, well, damn I it. Do... I thought you did. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been nice. Sorry, Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> Look, I do have a, an article called Future of Accounting. So it talks about this and it talks about trends that are happening right now that are intensifying. And, you know, there's a number of things. I, I think one that I, I want to get is not really spoken about that much. We should maybe focus on this a little bit more is there's maybe too much focus on automation these days too much focus on automating the relationship with your clients. And, and I was really, you know, focused on that. I know a lot of firms, it's like, they just want technology and processes to be so smooth. But on the other hand, now I have a business that has an accountant and I could see the flip side of the coin. And I could see what it feels like when people focus too much on automation. And you can see the scale factors of the world. You know, you raise $100 million, you put into software to automate the accounting relationship, and it totally went bust. There's a lot of these kind of models popping up right now where there are people, you know, companies are raising yeah. a ton of money, but the relationship is still so core to it all. And we need to humanize things a little bit more. So I don't know if this is answering your question, but this no, is something I, I, I love. I, this this is I've this preached is this all the time. This is kind of answering your question, Scott. Why we still we still meet with people, like whether virtually or not. Like like you said, Ryan, when you it's fine when everything's automated. I didn't mean when, meet with people. But when I you meant... need a question, but you when you need something answered, you want a I don't human want a robot. You, you want a human who knows you to be able to exactly. respond to that exactly. And, and how can you do that in a firm that? never talks to clients and so many firms with tax returns or whatever it's just like drop off your stuff in two weeks you get a tax return there's no communication correct like how can that, that never made sense and you could use technology you could use technology to help humanize of things course. but you have to think of that humanization the other thing i'm very interested in and i talk a lot about about a lot about this and i'm seeing it pick up steam is these firms that don't want to have the typical service delivery model and they want to have 
more of that passive revenue model. And I'm seeing a lot of firms jump on this. Well, maybe not a lot, but relatively speaking, a lot more where they're developing courses, online courses, they're developing group type training, membership type models. So instead of like you doing the bookkeeping yourself, you'll train someone to do the bookkeeping and you'll charge a couple hundred bucks a month for that, but it's, it's all margin, you know? So I'm seeing a lot of that kind of stuff pop up right now and that seems pretty popular. So if I was doing a firm today, this is me personally, oh, I would be running that kind of model. So, so you don't take on the smaller me clients. personally. You train yes. the DIYers and you Correct. teach them. And then you, would you still take on the larger clients that could actually use your services? That's a good question. I, you could, certainly. And, and it, you know, they well, it can sounds like what you're doing now. In your it's thing. exactly what I'm doing now, but accounting firms yeah. could do that kind of model. But so here, here's I don't my plan question. on running an kind of Kind of going back to your thing of like, we need to humanize yeah. But you also want to scale. Yeah. That seems like they're kind of... They're not you... really at odds, though. People yeah. is the answer to scaling. And those people are the ones that interact with the client. It's not the owner. How do you scale? How do you scale when some, you need They are people? somewhat at odds. They are yeah. somewhat at odds, truthfully, because it, it, it does... Because you it need does, the piece. The person yeah. has to be available... It doesn't have to be you. It has to be somebody. It has to be available to it has answer to be these someone. questions. Yeah, I, I think that knows what they're doing. And I don't really have a, a fully fleshed out answer, but I think it has to do with thinking about how could we avoid the relationship feeling so transactional. Bank statement, month end, month is closed. Bank statement, month, you know, what I mean, it's just like the same robotic type communication that it's maybe just automatically sent out all the time. How could we add just a little bit of human touch to it? I don't think it has to be a lot. I don't think it has to be a lot. And I have a podcast episode about this. Uh, you know, one of my more recent ones, a simple customer experience improvement that you can make. How often do people check in with their clients? Just a check-in email. Yeah. It's very rare. It's very rare. Hey, how's it going? How's business? It could be a 10-word email. Hey, how's it going? I checked in your zero account. Looks like last month's going better than the next or whatever. Then the last month is going better than the previous. Everything going okay. I don't think you have to do much, truthfully. Just show that you're a human. So one thing we implemented was recurring appointments. And that's part of the service package. Nothing scheduled for that appointment. It's there and everybody shows up. We can discuss things. We can, and that's where most of the magic happens. That's where the conversations start happening and they become, that's a relationship business there. And you can forecast that time. One thing that we're also experimenting with. But again, is, though, that's not scaling. Like, how is, it, is that scaling? Is it not? If you're no, charging the that, right prices. Because scaling prices means are, you can do more, in my mind, like it's more and more with less resources, right? So you have to, once you get to a certain amount of client, like, one person can only handle a certain amount of clients, right? And I guess you're scaling. I think I, agree. I think I agree with both of you there. But I think yeah. if you're able to sell that one-hour block as some kind of coaching service and you have some kind of model for your coaching and that's extremely high margin, then, then yes, you can scale. So basically, you need to, we need to charge a lot for our time because they're getting the resources and they're getting good service. Hey, look at you, Mr. Time. Charge a lot for our time. I, I don't is... like that. Charge a lot yeah, for the time. Yeah, what the hell does that mean? I'm calling charge about for your productizing, yeah. productizing that service. So, you, yeah. any product, right. like if you go to, like you're, you're going to watch a, so I guess it could be asynchronous. There could be a lot of these things that are happening that yeah, are, yeah. you know, if you're sending Loom videos and, and yeah. you know, having a discourse that way or inviting people into your discord or slack or different channels of having I these mean, conversations that's a great example loom is a great example to help humanize it you can include that as one of your, your, your features in your service you know like monthly loom check-in or something yeah. five minute loom video now that could be like more that. scalable because then there's not a lot of wasted time too and it becomes you know drilled down to what's important and what do other people find important what are the little things that you can give them that give them that spark every time and they remember why they're paying you so much 
the worst thing you can do is let a client leave a client alone and then they question why are they why am I paying you two thousand dollars a month? That's the worst thing you could you could possibly do. So keeping them engaged is maybe not scalable, but maybe we can figure out a way to balance that. I think a, a lot of it is about balance and balancing the tech automation to allow us free more free time to find our purpose, to do what we why we got into this. Why did we start an accounting firm or why are we accountants you know like we want to help people i think in in a lot of cases too what do you think about that ackerman sounds great (laughs) so ackerman have we given you clarity on your purpose well god no (laughs) i need to do a ryan I, i love what ryan said was just kind of reverse engineer like this is the life i want how do i get there and figure out kind of reverse engineer that I think that's true. And I think a lot of accountants, including myself, like we're just so busy. We don't take that time to do that exercise that you did. I mean, nobody, I mean, I didn't do it when I started my business. I just jumped right in. Yeah. Everybody just jumps right in. And you know, that kind of thought process comes from traction. Uh, But I just added an extra step to that, put personal goals in there. Like traction says, what do you want to, where do you want to be in 10 years? Reverse engineer where you need to be in three years, then reverse engineer where you need to be in one year, then reverse engineer that one year plan to see where you need to be in the next 90 days. And those are your goals. Mm -hmm. But what I did is I added an extra step and I said, forget the 10 year. What do I want personally? What do I want my life to look like? These are my personal goals. This is my bullet point list of where I want to end up personally. And then that should be consistent with the business end of things. So COVID was the reason that I was able to do that. If it wasn't for COVID, it wasn't for getting stranded in Mexico, I'd still be on that rat race. I'd still be on that hamster wheel running a million miles a minute without getting anywhere. You know, I finally got off of that to see that you can just walk and get further than you were running at that pace of trying to keep up with all the emails and keep up with, with this and keep growing for no reason. Right. Like, you know, so I think part of the, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on today because this is uh, I feel like you're a, um, Ryan's got a spirit. lot of, yeah, a lot of, uh, sage advice. He speaks our Maybe language. Not. See the gray hairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like how those, those gray too. hairs. Uh, I, I, have, I have a 15 I the week old. You've got a two month, right? two year old. So yeah. All right, we're I in the that. same uh, sort of. Uh, <laughs> okay, 15 weeks. Okay, cool. Yeah, only 15. Congrats, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, he's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, How is he doing? He's doing good. So okay, Ryan, uh, this has been amazing. So tell us how we can. How find... do we find our purpose? Uh, well, how do we find future firm? Let's yeah. do another hour <laughs> show for that one then. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Future Firm, look, a lot of free resources on uh, futurefirm.co. One of my most popular is my newsletter sent to uh, 7,000 firm leaders globally. And I just give tips and tricks every Tuesday. So futurefirm.co slash newsletter. And then my online coaching membership has around 450 members in it. Uh, launched uh, a little over a year ago. It's futurefirmaccelerate.com. That's amazing. Okay, so give everyone... We kind of we kind of already danced around this. So we, our final question is always: Give firm owners one piece of advice to close on. Start with the end in mind. Mm. Design your life and your firm. Yeah, I mean that's that's why you started a business in the first place is to give yourself a better life. So clarify what that better life looks like, and then create a path to get there. People don't think about it enough. It's beautiful. Very wise words from, from the Canadian accounting messiah. <laughs> the Mecca of Montreal. <laughs> Ryan Lozanis, this has been amazing. Everyone go check out futurefirm.co. I'm looking at it right now. And you I think you're wearing the same exact V-neck that you're wearing now. Is that I'm wearing like a V-neck a, right so now? It's a round neck and uh yeah, it's pretty a pretty uh pretty you, standard attire. Is that, is that a, like is that a G Steve Jobs thing? Do I you, feel like I'm like it's so smart with a kid. Just like you wear the same shirt every day. Like yeah. just I have black like shirt. twenty black t shirts and it's just easy. It's like 
buy them off Amazon. Like this is now. This is real advice, people. This is real advice. Don't have to think about what you wear every day. I love that. I got. It's either. It's either. You know. This is after working from home for, I don't know, half a decade now. You know, I got hoodies. I got my standard (laughs) hoodies. So. The way it goes. Love it, yeah. Ryan, thanks so much. I'm sure I'll see you at a conference or something. I'll probably go to ZeroCon. All right. Well, we'll see you in New Orleans then. Yeah. All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. See you, homie. Bye. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, kids. Do you like operations? It's Wednesday accounting. Hi, talking systems and processes. Talking shop about operations balances accounting workbench to workflow challenges hybrid teams for pete's sake i'm trying to manage through screens but i can't figure out what zoom windows my next meeting and dr k says acuity uses eos uh-huh entrepreneurial operating system well since 2012 my firm's been in the cloud join us as we go deep i'll try not to run it to the ground we're sharing profit and loss and managing back office attack staff just quit tried to hire on linkedin no luck and scope creep team count cast automate tax compliance transactions id and bottlenecks come on ops scotty wait a minute it's my firm dog i know and i said you could run it however you want hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting high